Turn with me to your Bibles. We're looking this morning at Romans chapter 8, and uh, we've got to Romans 8, verses 6 through to 8. Ten billion in 1990. Fifty billion, 2010. Seventy-four billion dollars annually today. What do you think I'm talking about? Video games. Big business. I discovered, even more astonishingly, that people are actually spending about $8 billion a year, right? $8 billion a year buying virtual items that only exist in video games. For instance, in one particular game, there's a virtual astronaut that sold for 330,000 real dollars. Well, that's quite a lot of money. Now, why is this? Um, There was a a TED Talk presentation that explained some of the reasons why this kind of engagement. And it all comes down to the rewards schedule. So because a lot of these games are played online, you can, you know, if you're a video game uh, constructor or that's your industry, you can actually measure the data points of what keeps people engaged in the games. And so what they do, one of the main keys is to regularly schedule rewards, and they can measure exactly how frequently they need them, rewards for going to the next level, that kind of thing. And behind this, there seems to be some um, actual... Science that's been discovered as people look at the human brain when they uh, play games or when they do other things that have rewards. It seems as if the human brain is actually wired in a certain kind of way. It's wired, it's constructed, designed for problem solving and learning. And in particular, there's a neurotransmitter called dopamine, which is sort of pleasure um, signal, and it lights up when there's a potential reward out there. Reward and rewards scheduling. Interestingly, God is not adverse to rewards. Of course, you know, uh, nothing against video games and all the rest, but uh, God has a slightly uh, more uh, elevated purpose behind rewards. Nonetheless, the passage in front of us this morning makes it plain that there is a reward that results from the mind of the Spirit. So listen with me to Romans chapter 8. You'll find it in your worship folder as well, right there in front of you. Here it is, God's Word. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot Please, God, the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. Here's my proposition for us this morning. Everything's going to hang off this one statement. Commit to God's new way of thinking because that is the only sure path to the reward of life and peace. Commit to God's new way of thinking because that is the only sure path to the reward of life and peace. 
And to explain this, I'm going to answer or solve three problems, answer three questions, solve three problems. What is this new way of thinking? Why should I commit to it? And how do I commit to this new way of thinking? All along, we're going to have this one proposition in view, like a telescope, focus one way, commit to God's new way of thinking. That's what I'm calling us to do, to commit to this for a reason, for a reward, it's the only sure path to the reward of life and peace. So you want life and peace? God's saying it comes from the mind of the Spirit. Now, what is this new way of thinking? Why should I commit to it? How do I commit to this new way of thinking? First, what? What is this new way of thinking? It is the mind of the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, our minds, our thinking, our attitude, our desires are made new by God's Spirit. We have the mind of the Spirit This is not our doing, but God's doing, the doing of the Spirit. It's a way of thinking that we can have only by God's Spirit. In that sense, I call it God's new way of thinking for His new people. Who are these new people? The followers of Jesus Christ. You and I, if we are followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, There's a theological term for this, and it is regeneration. It's a change from the inside out. It's a new way of looking at life. So we're no longer looking at life purely as something that is for ourselves. We have the mind of the spirit, not the mind of the self. We're now looking at life as best lived for God and His glory. We are His. What's more, we delight in that reality. We love Him. We worship Him. We enjoy Him. We have the mind of the spirit, you see. The Spirit is fully God, right? Fully God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. And for all eternity, the Bible teaches, God the Father has loved God the Son, and the Spirit is the personal expression of that love. And we have this mind of the Spirit, if we're followers of Jesus, so we believe in God, but more than simply sort of notional, mental assent, we believe in God, but not merely like someone believes The moon exists. We believe like the astronaut believes in the moon, who's walked on the moon. So God for us is our God and we are His. We have the mind of the Spirit. Changes our prayer life. It's a regeneration that we can actually develop a divine taste that is expressed even in things like prayer. So Paul puts it in verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We have the mind of the spirit, not the spirit of slavery, not to fall back into fear, but the spirit of adoption as sons, children of God, by whom we cry, Father, Abba. We love God. He is our Father. Our mind now is the mind of the Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the expression of God's love for all eternity. We have that mind. Our mind is new now. We receive God's new way of thinking and being and desiring. Now, um, just this last week, I went to a baseball game, and I went with my, my, my human father, my dad, uh, visiting us from England at the time. And it was a lot of fun. It was loud, raucous, evening games. You go out and you've got these big lights, a bit like standing on the stage at College Church, the big lights. And 
Well, there we are. Uh, the end of the ninth inning, no run had been scored. Um, my father has now been to two baseball games in his life, and neither time has he ever seen a single run scored. Uh, you try and tell him that cricket is boring, and he just smiles. Um, but uh, this evening, apparently, the, the, you know, we didn't know there's something called extra innings, and uh, so we left. Yeah, I didn't find out until Tuesday morning at one of our staff meetings when they just fell about laughing at me. We did not have the mind of baseball, right? We bought our hot dogs. We clapped at the right moments. I can talk about home runs, walk-offs, bottom, bottom of the 11th when I'm suitably prepped by the staff, you know. And, but I didn't have the mind of the baseball. You know, I didn't get it. Now, the mind of the spirit... The mind of the Spirit is entirely different from human religion. It's God's new way of thinking, not a human way of thinking religiously. God's new way of thinking. Now, contrast with any religion you like. I'm just going to pick one because it is a huge issue in our time and in our day today. That is Islam. Contrast this way of thinking with that of Islam. Islam does not believe in this kind of internal change. It believes that people can be made to be good. Now, I know Islam's a complicated thing, but this is true. People can be converted by force. Christians don't believe that. Christians believe that no one can be made to be a Christian. Why? Because Paul says, we cannot please God. You look at that text, you think that's a negative, but actually in some ways it's a positive. For not only is it barbaric to force someone to believe the way you believe, for Christians it's completely useless. You cannot make someone please God. But for Islam, you can make someone convert because they don't believe in this new way of thinking, the mind of the Spirit. What's required is outward conformity. You say the right words and you're a Muslim. But Christianity believes in a religion of the heart, of the mind, changed from the inside out. Completely different way of looking at how we may please God. Now, here it is. Next time someone says to you, all the religions are the same, and you guys are just saying the same as everyone else, tell them that according to the Bible, it is impossible to please God. For any religion, any ideology, except we have the mind of the Spirit totally different way of looking at serving God. The mind of the Spirit, that's what the new way of thinking is. Well, why? Why is it that those from the flesh cannot please God? Granted that we understand that being in the flesh is not a scene from some zombie apocalypse movie, but means the unconverted... Granted, we understand that. We looked at that last week here at Cottage Church. Here, the claim of this text is that only by the Spirit of God can we please God. And this claim is at once familiar and at the same time deeply unacceptable to many people today in our postmodern, relativistic, multicultural world. We must answer the question, why? Otherwise, we will not... Commit to this new way of thinking. 
First, let us be sure we understand what Paul is actually saying. Paul is not just saying that people who do not have the mind of the Spirit do not please God. He says they cannot. There is a moral incapability. There is a lack of power. It is impossible to please God. There may be desire for some, but there cannot be an achievement on the event, in the event of actually pleasing God, it is morally impossible. That is the claim of this text. We must let it speak for itself, elevate it in all its shocking voice. And then we must, as rational human beings, ask the question, why? Why is it that God's new way of thinking is the only path to life and peace with God? It is an apologetic question. For those who are not yet believers, but also for us who believe, we must be sure that we understand this right and can give a good answer to the hope that we have. If we are to receive actively and volitionally this morning this truth, and hence be renewed in the reward of life and peace that comes from the mind and the spirit, we must commit to this new way of thinking, this truth here, and we must answer the question, why? Why is it the case that no one outside of those who have the mind of the spirit can please God? How is that possible? Why? I have three answers for you. Experience, authority, common sense. One is experience. Let me illustrate it with a student friend of mine who was not a Christian. He had principles by which he lived. What he discovered by that experience, by his own principles, was that he did not even live up to those. In fact, he told me he began to realize he could not. Whatever he did, however hard he worked, those principles which he himself had created for himself were not being kept by himself. And so as he started to come to church and we began to explain to him what it actually meant to follow God's standards, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, to love your neighbor as yourself, where he looked around at his neighbors and he knew that both loving God and loving neighbor were practically experientially impossible. And you may say to me, this is not a good argument from experience. It's just one example. Many people actually do please God. I have a challenge for you. Read the Sermon on the Mount and then attempt in your own strength to go one day keeping it. One day. Have you actually managed that? I cannot give you life and peace, but I'll give you $20. (laughs) I will require documentation. (laughs) And it has never happened. Barring the life of one person called Jesus. Experientially, we know, you and I, if we're being frank together, that in our own strength, we cannot keep God's moral law. Experience is one answer to the question why authority is another answer. I know authority is a deeply unpopular answer, but we must be straightforward with each other that this is a claim from God in His Word. And even if we could not understand it intellectually, we are morally bound to believe it. Let me give you an example of why this is the case. There's an actor called David Suchet. He plays Hercule Poirot in one of Agatha Christie's detective stories that has been televised, David Suchet. Suchet was raised as a non-Christian. He became a Christian 
by reading Romans chapter 8 in a hotel Bible. There he was in a hotel. He reached for the Bible. By the way, those Gideons who put Bibles there, thank God for you. I think it's wonderful. Found a Bible. Turned to Romans chapter 8. He said in an interview, I wanted to find something real and I found it there. From God's word, the mind of the Spirit was given to him, and by the power of the Spirit, he started to fulfill the law in his own heart and mind and actions. In other words, he started to want to please God, to be able to please God. The authority of God's word, the power of God's word, is argument enough for the believer. I love Charles Spurgeon who said, defend the Bible, I'd sooner defend a lion. In other words, the Bible, let it speak. You say, that's so irrational, this claim from authority. No, it's not. If God be God, and if God speaks through the Bible, it is rational for finite human beings like you and I to bow before His truth and allow our minds to be shaped by His Spirit. That's why at College Church we teach the Bible. This is not about Josh Moody with a you know, kind of cool English accent, or at least that's what people tell me. You know. um, this is about God's Word. Yeah, it's an it's a, it's a answer from authority, but this is the authority of the divine being. Will you accept this word? And I know there are lots of historical critical things that I've spent years studying and thinking about and developing clever answers to in my own mind, but let me tell you this, God's word will not return to him empty, and will you believe what God says right here in his word like David Suchet did when he read from Romans chapter 8 in a hotel room when he grabbed a hotel Bible? Experientially, from authority. But there is another answer to this question why, which is common sense, that is using our minds. And when I say common sense, I'm actually drawing from an ancient or old Christian heritage philosophically, Thomas Reed and other 19th century philosophers, the common sense approach to reason. It's informed by Scripture and it is informed by various complicated ways of thinking at life, but in the end it is common sense. Here is how this works today. Our modern philosophy of life, our society is relativism, right? We live in a multicultural world and every truth is truth and yet that world has been built on sand. We can see it all around us. We must have some common set of values that we hold together. But today the assumption is there are only truths and not truth. And there are many paths to life and peace. And what I want to tell you this morning is common sense makes it clear that is incorrect. Clearly, surely we can see this clearly. Not all religions and ideologies lead to life and peace. Surely, if any people on the face of the planet should realize this, it should be Americans. In the name of religion, people fly planes into buildings. And are we going to buy into the lie? It doesn't matter what you believe. In the Middle East, they strap bombs onto children. They behead the innocent. And are we going to buy into the lie that it doesn't matter what you believe? No, some ideologies are sick. We Christians must say the truth, 
but we must speak the truth with love. So we Christians, we love and care for those with whom we disagree. We have no desire to trample underfoot our neighbor. The very, the very reverse, our calling is to love our neighbor, whatever they believe. But it is the truth that we believe which gives us the power to please God like this. We Christians will not force other people to believe what we believe. Why? Because we cannot. It is the gift of God. We'll love our neighbor. We'll embrace our neighbor, neighbor to neighbor. And we do it because of the truth of Christ who came to die for us that we might have life and peace with God. We'll invite our neighbor to church, but we will not force them to attend. What I'm saying is the claim of the text is a defensively common sense position. Thousands upon thousands of refugees today are risking life and limb to escape the ideologies that our political masters, in their great wisdom, tell us are no different from the Christ we follow. And we say no. Ask the family who squeeze onto an overly packed tiny boat to chug haphazardly across the Mediterranean Greece, some of whom will drown in those waters each week, whether all ideologies are relative and there are many different paths to life and peace. They will say it is not true, and it is not. No, we need the mind of the Spirit. Whose Spirit? The Spirit of Christ, who touched the leper, washed the feet of the disciple threw out the sick religiosity in his day with those money changers at the temple. Gave his life that you might have life to the full and forever and peace with him, secure and established in your relationship and unshakable, confident, and therefore able to love those around us with whom we disagree. This is, this is the life of the mind of the Spirit, and it is peace, and it is an extraordinary reward that begins now and goes for all eternity. That's why. That's why, commit. Because it comes through faith in Christ, this mind of the Spirit. We can see it from experience and from authority and also common sense. But how? It's all very well to say this is what it is and why I should commit to it, but at the same time, you've told me that no one can please God in the flesh. So how are we to have the mind of the Spirit, which is life and peace? We may now want to commit to God's new way of thinking, and we may know why we should do so, because it is the only sure path to the reward of life and peace, but still, how? Well, let me tell you. The first step is to admit that you cannot do it on your own. To admit that in your own moral strength outside of Christ, you cannot please God. That you cannot, in your own experience, you have discovered this, you cannot please God. That you cannot keep God's perfect standards in your own strength. And without this initial step, none of the other steps that I will mention will make any kind of sense. It will seem like a different world to you, and you will not have the power to be able to do it. To have the reward of life and peace requires having the mind of the Spirit, and to have the mind of the Spirit first requires admitting that on your own you cannot please God. Of course, this is a hard thing, but it's also a very easy thing. It is, in one sense, hard to give up the selfishness that is the plague of this age of the selfish gene in which you and I live. To live for self is everywhere in our culture, 
and we are immersed in this attitude in the world around us. And so it is hard to give up the selfishness that is the plague of this age, of the selfish gene in which we live. It is hard, but it is also the easiest thing in the world, on the other hand, for the reward of life with God and peace with God is by free grace. So will you admit that in your own strength outside of Christ you cannot please God? That's the first step. And if you do that and you receive God's Spirit, then you're unable to please God and have life and peace with God, and there's a new divine taste that you have that you can now develop. And so then you develop this new taste, this new attitude specifically to submission. See here, the person, Paul says, who is still in the flesh does not submit to God or His law. But then the one with the mind of the Spirit increasingly delights to submit to God. His question is not now, do I have to obey? But how can I obey more and more because of the love of Jesus? And then the third step is to develop this new attitude, this new taste of submission to God's law. The person who is still in the flesh views God's law as an expression of being hostile to God, as Paul puts it. They don't want to have anything to do with God's moral law. They oppose that. They do not want to be forced to do anything. It, it offends them. But the one with the mind of the Spirit views God's moral law as an expression of who God is. And he or she delights in God and therefore delights to submit to God's law and obey God. Nothing could please the person with the mind of the Spirit more than to find another way to please God. For in Christ, we are enabled increasingly to fulfill the law, to become more and more like Christ in practical living. But you say, how? How do I develop this new attitude to submission to God's law? How do I focus the telescope of my life on committing to God's new way of thinking, even though I now know that's the only sure path to the reward of life? How? In the most practical terms, let me give you one little key. And I'm going to use a little word to open up the door with this key. And that word is unplug. <laughs> it's a new way of thinking. And to develop it, you'll need to unplug. Develop it by reading, which will mean unplugging. You know, this is different from catching up on social media, which, as useful and interesting as I also find it, you know, I, I, you know, I, I've got a Facebook account and Twitter and all that. I, yeah, it's good, but still, it functions a bit like crack cocaine to the brain, doesn't it? We are, it seems to me, some days all now ATD, attention Twitter disorder. Yeah? But 140 characters is not the whole summation of the expression of the meaning and profundity of life, is it? I hear even Twitter is acknowledging this. Uh, some say it's soon going to be increasing its famed soundbite limit. Read, read a book. You know, those things that come in kind of like, like this? I mean, you can read it electronically as well, but something that's a little more substantial than 140 characters. Read. 
Read a Christian book. You know, one written by a Christian person, right? Read a good Christian book. They may be rare, I understand, but the book of the month is side by side. It's a great book. Read it. It will encourage you to know how to love each other. Come side by side. Browse the church library. There are lots of good books there. Go to the bookstore. Develop this new way of thinking by reading, which means you need to unplug To actually let your mind soak in the truth of God. Develop this new way of thinking by reading. Develop this new way of thinking by thinking. I love uh, this quotation from one philosopher. He said this, Many men would rather die than think. Many do. But not the Christian. Not the Christian. For the Christian man or woman has the mind of the Spirit there to think. Dr. Seuss put it like this. Think left and think right. Think low and think high. Oh, the things you can think up if you only try. So what does that mean? Here's what it means. You drive down the highway into Chicago. You see those billboards and your mind is bombarded with images of scantily clad women beckoning you to so-called gentlemen's clubs, you must think. What is really being offered here? Is it really fulfilling? Is this really going to be life and peace? Am I really going to sacrifice my peace with God and my life of fulfillment for this? Think. Sometimes it's a matter of life and death. Develop this new way of thinking by reading. Develop this new way of thinking by thinking. Develop this new way of thinking by celebrating. You know, what we celebrate, we tend to get more of. We celebrate missions, we get more missionaries. We celebrate the Bible, we get more Bible teachers. We celebrate the mind of the Spirit with joy, and we get more people who admit that they, in their own strength, cannot please God, and who develop the mind of the Spirit of Christ, loving to submit to God and loving to obey His law. And so, We joyfully commit to God's new way of thinking because that is the only sure path to the reward of life and peace. And maybe you are still a little bit unsure about the resulting rewards. Sure, there are many different ways to get this life and peace. Is it really only this way? You think it's, you know, just true for some but not true for all? I I like the story of the student on a uh, university campus who had decided uh, to start up a new magazine on relativism, and he was selling this uh, new magazine advocating relativism on the, on the campus there at this university. And some man walked by, a passerby, and wanted a copy and asked how much it cost. The student said, well, that, that'll be 25 cents. And the passerby just grabbed a magazine without paying. 
hey, you know, hey, said the student, that's 25 cents. Not to me, it's not, said the man. This is your first lesson in relativism. (laughs) But God's reward, guaranteed. Say, how do I know? Because he died and rose back to life. And that we are about to celebrate as we stand to sing, just as I am.